You're listening to Passioners Podcast with Norbert Pustai. It's all about meaning, mission, and passion. Hi, everyone. Today, my guest is Paolo Petrolini. He's an advisor for startup and large companies and also the chief product officer and co-founder of Celerify. Welcome, Paolo. Hi, Norbert. Thanks for having me. We appreciate it. Uh, thank you very much for uh, accepting my invitation. Could you tell me about uh, yourself? What is your background? For sure. Um, so I'm originally from Italy, as my accent uh, might suggest. Um, but I spent pretty much the last 20 years of my life outside Italy. Um, I first uh, moved to Ireland, to Dublin, where I was working in Google for about 10 years. And I also completed my master in computer science there. And then uh, moved to Switzerland you know, five years ago, where I kept on working in Google. And then started, uh, as you were mentioning, started my two companies, one being an advisory uh, company for startups and enterprises in the context of product management, and the other one together with Benze and Jolt, uh, Salarify, um, a fintech company that we're operating at the moment in Hungary. Um, in terms of my background, um, I said, like I studied computer science, um, did a master in Ireland, and um, in Google, which was my first big job, I actually uh, started as an analyst uh, working in trust and safety, so looking at uh, both uh, abuse, um, so abuse of products, but also like ensuring that uh, Google's users were safe in using um, different stack of products that you know we were offering. Um, after many years, uh, you know, in Google, I had like very different roles, starting from a cell, like from an analyst, moving more into program management, product management in a way, and eventually becoming a manager. And my last role uh, was to be the head of trust and safety in Switzerland, uh, mostly working on a subset of products, um, user-focused products, and ensuring those products were safe uh, for our users, for Google's users. After I left Google, uh, this was at the end of 2017, um, started these two companies uh, with very different, uh, I would say, a strategy, a very different strategy. Uh, one was actually to keep on helping startups because as I was working in Google, I was also part of a number of initiatives in mentoring and coaching, coaching startups, specifically like on innovation management and product management. Uh, and the other one was together with Bense and Jolt in Budapest, we decided to start something which was very new, very innovative, uh, which is Salarify today, uh, offering our users um, earned wage access. You know, so we are basically working on turning salaries um, into a dynamic smart tool that uh, our end users can use on a on a daily basis. You know, as an active balance. So that's about myself. Um, very quick intro. Grazie mille. Uh, that was really exciting, and we will get back to your uh, career path and also to Celerify. Sure. But just to give an overall uh, sight about that, what is uh, product management for you? What, can you explain the whole process, how you do it, and what are the most common mistakes and challenges? So product management is something that I think if you ask like 10 people, they will give you 10 different answers. <laughs> so there are many different school of thoughts, you know, even based on industry, right? The term product management in tech has a meaning. The term product management, say, for example, in banking has a different meaning or in healthcare has a different meaning. 
uh, meaning sorry um so um this is something that you know like i said you know it's it's always up for debate when you when you for example go to product management conferences or like you meet with other product managers from my point of view really product management can be summarized as finding a solution a compelling solution for a problem for an existing problem and while doing that generating revenue generating value for a business so the way you see a product manager in a way like is the ceo of that specific solution to address a specific problem um so that's really like how I embrace the concept of product management myself. Like there are many different ways of looking at it, right? You know, there are more like, uh, uh, let's say, like more focused on the technology side of things, more focusing on the business side of things. But to me, the role of product management is very much a, a catalyst in a way, like of all these different functions. Always thinking about addressing a problem and creating value, right? So that's that's really the way I look at it. Um... I think uh, startups are, are really like everyone wants to become a startupper and also in a large organization, they want to create something uh, new, uh, a new software, for example, a new product. So they also want to become a startupper inside a large organization. So when we talk about specifically uh, products in early uh, stage, what are the most common mistakes? So the most common, I think the most common mistake, not just in uh, startups or like in early stage ventures in general, I think the most common mistake is to think about the solution before the problem. So very often uh, uh, companies, this is not just the startups, even like larger organizations, they fall in love with the prob- with the solution rather than falling in love with the problem, right? So they start thinking about their capabilities, their know-how, their capacity in a way. And they start building solutions, not really knowing if those solutions are needed because they don't know if the problem exists in the first place. Um, so this is something that I've seen very often, uh, even in the companies that I've been advising. Um, and also like uh, um, just, you know, by looking up, you know, like there are many like examples of like of, of, of great uh, ideas that never reach like a user base because of the lack of connection with the real customer problem. So this is something that, you know, like it's extremely important and that's the basis of like how I do product management. And that's the, 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 the foundation also of Salarify in a way, because this is like how we started Salarify, knowing that there was a problem before understanding the solution and defining a solution. But how how should we know that uh, when should we stop? So do you know any like methodology or something that we should scale or uh, we should uh, get feedback or or what what sure. is the perfect uh, methodology for this? So there are there are a number of different methodologies like used, right? Um, just just by looking up, you know, you would see there are like many different approaches. The one I'm most familiar with. Um, and the one that I use today, it's called product discovery. Um, so the concept of product discovery, um, it's really about discovering the product that solves a customer problem and while doing that, generating business value to the company. So the way you approach this, uh, you know, this, this methodology, um, it's very simple, actually, it's very intuitive. So. What you do, like in a nutshell, you start 
interviewing, you start talking to potential customers, to potential users, before you build one line of code. You talk to them to understand their problem. Um, so you, there are like a number of different methodologies that you can use for interviewing, but can it be as simple as understanding what their problems are, are just, just asking, you know, just asking a few questions, right? And with that, you have a baseline of intelligence um, that then you can use in the second phase of your discovery, which is this experimentation phase. Um, so at that point, you have like a little bit of like knowledge, you know that uh, there is a customer problem. So you start thinking about a potential solution, experimenting on a potential solution. That means that you don't need to build a full-fledged uh, product, even an MVP. It can be as simple as having like a mock, it can be as simple as having like a marketing campaign or a landing page, or like a deck of slides or a video, whatever it is, right? But something quick, something that you can like, you know, experiment with. And again, go through the same cycle with those users to understand that what you have in mind, it's really like, you know, what they need as a solution for their problem. And eventually you go to the next phase, which is the prototyping phase. So you have this experiment, then you start prototyping, you start to build, you start building what is, would be called like an MVP, you know, or like, you know, mock product if you want to, but something that is tangible, something that is a real product. And you keep iterating through this process, for a number of cycles until you reach a stable enough concept because again i'm calling it mvp but it's more like of a concept more than mvp to then move to the next phase which is the product delivery so at that point you start building the product you start building the solution uh, because you're very aware of the customer problem Um, I think another also important issue is that uh, many startups, they don't make money. So they get investment, but they don't make money. And also large organizations, it's, uh, uh, I think it's a big problem that they create software that maybe there is a need for it, but we can't really measure the, the business value or, or this part. What do you think about this? So measuring the business value, I mean, depends what business value itself is, right? Because business value can be many different things. What I mean with that is that business value can be revenue, can be branding, can be like positioning in a market, can be having access to users, growing like a huge uh, user base, right? There are like, there are companies that are not remonetizing immediately on their users, right? You know, they decide that, you know, like they want to have a free product or, or companies that are using products as a way of branding out, branching out in different, uh, in different directions, right? And building a stronger position in a market. So that, that's the thing, the first thing, which is like business value can be many different things, right? Um, but as I was mentioning earlier, in the concept of like of product discovery is really about that 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 connection between addressing a customer problem with a solution but also generating business value so you need to first of all define what the business value is for you right so when we talk for example about startups you were saying startups you know like initially they get investment uh, they don't necessarily generate revenue right at the beginning in my view that's fine that's actually expected uh, because a concept, the concept of a startup is something which is extremely disruptive and innovative. And in any case, generating revenue through that innovation, through that disruption would take time. Um, hence the importance of like having uh, uh, venture capital uh, investing into startups. So mm, I think, you know, that 
to, to answer your question, I think we need to split like, first of all, we need to better define what like a business value could be. You know, this is something what companies need to define in the first place, but also uh, distinguishing between ventures within like a, a corporation, let's say, uh, and ventures as a standalone company in a startup, right? So these are two very different things because a company, again, can generate value in different ways. And, and depending on the size of the company and the stage of the company, also the, the value can be different, right? So uh, it, it's a bit like, you know, like um, a very, very different approach, I would say, um, based on the different, you know, uh, based on the different context. Yeah, um, I mean, basically when when uh, I, uh, so even it, it's a, a private user, so I use an app and and I feel that it, it's something that creates value for me, but I don't want to pay for it. And, and many startups, they, they um, develop uh, softwares, uh, they have users, but they don't have incomes from this one. So where where's this point? Because you also mentioned that, uh, okay, we need to get feedback and we need to check if there's a need for, for the product itself. But it's also, I think it's important. And where, where is that point that we, we need to say, okay, that's something perfect, but, but we uh, don't get revenue from this? Or, or do you have an example how you manage this situation? where you didn't get income and, and maybe you get an extra function, which uh, was uh, something that uh, customers would pay for? So I think that there is like, so I think there's a subtle, subtle difference between the, let's say MVP stage, right? And the, and the uh, let's say the, the, the kind of like product market fit stage, right? So um, an early stage, even before MVP, let's call it concept, um, generating revenue, it's very unlikely because you're you're learning right so in a way your revenue is the feedback that you get from users right because that helps you build a stronger product right so at the beginning like it's very i would say it's very unlikely in the first very early stage that you know you would be generating revenue also because you're the new kid on the block nobody will know your solution and a different re- many other different reasons right um so in that phase i think the revenue at least from my point of view, and that's what also I'm suggesting to startups in a very, very early stage, the revenue, I think, is not the key factor. Like the key factor is really about learning, right? If you generate revenue as an ancillary, that's amazing. But really your objective should be to learn and to build a product that eventually uh, will be uh, generating revenue. Then you move to the second stage, to to the next phase, let's say, where you're a proper established company. As a proper established company, once you've validated this concept, you know, turn it maybe into an MVP, you know that you're addressing a problem. As a proper, proper established company, you need to generate revenue. Uh, and this is otherwise you're not sustainable. Of course, venture money can help you at the beginning because at the beginning you want to be generating a ton of revenue, but still your long-term goal is to actually make money. Otherwise you can't exist as a company. Um, so. I think at that stage, it's important to start thinking about the business models around the product. So you first address a problem, you build a solution, and then you figure out how to monetize it. Monetizing it can be many different ways, right? Um, look, for example, at the freemium model where you would offer like a subset of features for free to users. Spotify is a great example. Um, and um, another subset of like features 
paid, right? And as an MVP, you can even think about only the, let's say, the, the, the free features to build a user base. But long term, you need to figure out a way of making money. And so that would be building additional features, for example, to generate revenue, right? Or building advertising platform on top of that content that you're giving for free, that, that, that product that you're giving for free. So there are many different approaches and business models that you can use. But I said at the beginning, it's more like understanding and making sure you're doing the right thing. Once you know that, then you move into that phase where like, okay, now I need to make money because otherwise in six months, I'm going to go out of business. Um, so that, 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 that's the way I look at it, right? Um, there are many buzzwords now, like innovation or OKR. What are your uh, thoughts on them? So this is like a, it's, a, it's a very it's a very interesting question. So I think okay. So let me start. Let me try to be politically correct as much as I can. So <laughs> let, let's start, you know, with the concept of innovation per se. So the concept of innovation per se is something that I, I know it's a very uh, hot buzzword at the moment. I mean, we've been innovating our entire, you know, existence as human beings, right? You know, this is something that we always done, right? <laughs> Obviously, in the context, it's in like certain... change. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it's inevitable. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't sustain ourselves. Um, so, in the context of specifically business, right? You know, now being a bit more serious in the context of business, the word innovation, word innovation. Um, has been used like in many different ways, uh, which very often I don't agree with. Um, but let's look at the positive, right? Let's look at the positive examples. Um, there are companies, you know, that you know, like that that have been in, uh, in 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 the market in the industries for a number of years. And yet they manage to build new value. So to me, innovation is actually building new customer value. That's what I mean with innovation. So when I look at, you know, like companies, you know, even like if I look, for example, Facebook, you know, these large companies that have been like, they, they, they're, they're in a way they've been on the market for like 20 years, almost like, you know, Facebook is like, what, 15 years or something like that. Google is more than 20 years, you know. Companies of this caliber, they, 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 they manage to generate, constantly generate uh, new customer value, hence new business value, but really rethinking about their, their business and adding things to those things, adding things to, to, to their core business. And this is really like a model to me when I look at it, right? You know, because these are companies that could easily like sit on their pile of cash and be happy with what they have and still like in a way have like a, a very strong presence, uh, uh, you know, in, in different markets, but yet they try constantly to build new value, new customer value. Um, and this is something I would like to see more established companies doing in different industries. Um, for example, the financial industry, to say one, or the insurance industry. Um, where larger enterprises, they tend to be a bit skeptical about innovation. So they, they, they love the, the terminology, they love the concept, the idea, but then they don't apply it, you know, like every day to build new uh, customer value, new business value. OKRs. Is different. Sorry? So in practice, it's different for them. It yeah. is. It is very different. It is a very different uh, approach, right? Uh, OKRs goes along with that, right? So I've been using OKRs now for what, like 15 years. Um, and actually, I, 
I also teach and coach companies on how to use OKRs because of my previous experience in Google, but also with the work that I'm doing with Salarify. And again, OKRs are like connected in a way to the concept of innovation or creating new value, thinking about users, thinking about you know, the, the problems that you're addressing and the solutions that you're creating. But they're not the one fit all. They're not like the, the solution for like, you know, for, for, for any given problem within like, uh, uh, let's say like you know, within like a moment of change that is needed within a company. So very often when I, this, this actually happened like quite, quite a few times that um, some companies, larger companies, they ask me to uh, support them in developing uh, an OKRs uh, program um, within their organization. So they really wanted to adopt this new methodology. I mean, new, relatively new, I mean, it's like from the 1960s, so more or less, so it's not that new. But um, uh, let's say the OKRs version or the Google OKRs version, right, which is newer. Um, but um, they really wanted to introduce this new approach, right, towards like, you know, the, the way they were working and thinking about, you know, their, their, their company. But very often I was getting in and realizing they're actually like, they were not in a position to have OKRs because OKRs as an intrinsic principle, they do need a flat organization. They do need like a culture of trust, a culture of transparency where actually you need to have that ability of like skipping through levels and making sure that everybody's informed of like on, on, on what's happening that very, you know, like senior level, but also like, you know, from a strategic point of view. And so I often ended up, rather than implementing OKRs, telling them like, it's not possible to implement OKRs with this specific structure that you have. Ended it's up not basically, possible or it's slower? It's, it's not possible because it wouldn't work. Um, it wouldn't work because if you have, it's the same thing as like, I don't know, having a, uh, you know, uh, you, you've never driven like uh, in your life, you don't have a driving license and I give you a Formula One car. I don't think it's like a particularly smart idea. I mean, you might survive, you know, maybe, maybe you're going to, you, maybe you're unnaturally, you're going to go, you know, you're going to do great, you know, maybe you're not going to crash against the wall, but let's say the likelihood that you're going to crash against the wall, it's very high. Um, so there is that need of building a different culture first before implementing OKRs. Um, and this is something that I've been coaching executives to explain that before you use the tool, you need to change your culture within the company. What are you the proudest of from your career? I think the proudest thing I am, I, I'm, 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 very, I'm very proud actually, like of, of the work that we are doing at Certify. Um, because I said, this is something that we started uh, now two and a half years ago to address a real problem for real people, um, focusing on something that can have like a huge impact on society um, and helping people in need um, really to avoid, you know, ending up like in, 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 in debt and, you know, and ending up in a very sticky situation, right? So this is something that, I'm very proud of, obviously for the solution itself, because this is something that, you know, like I said, the problem we know very well, the solution that we're working on, it's very cool and, you know, and we're putting a lot of effort into it, so I'm very proud of it. 
but also because this is something that is a bit outside it was at least before a bit outside the my expertise area right so uh, as i said i was working more like on the trust and safety side of things um so more like on fraud uh, payment fraud abuse uh, that kind of stuff where this is more like a financial technology it is a financial technology product right so i had to learn a lot um, about financial technology, about, you know, like uh, different aspects that, you know, that I wasn't really aware of, right? And so I'm very proud of both of the solution, but also of the work and that we've done, including myself, to learn about this specific area. So you mentioned Celerify, your own startup. So is it because your own, own child or because you already developed other products uh, in the past? I mean, I actually developed other products, you know, w within Google. Obviously, I was working on different products. Obviously, Google is a different type of uh, company in the sense that you don't own the product because you have like hundreds of people working on a product. Um, but, you know, I was like um, one, I was in many cases, I was like, uh, from a trust and safety point of view, I was the person assigned to those products. So I was influencing the direction of those products. Um, so I think... It's not really about the the first thing that I built, uh, because also like the advisory company again is like something that you know like I built, and I was also working before on a marketing agency that I built with a friend. Um, so I think it's more like the solution itself, right? You know, I, I really see like the impact that we have. Like one thing that you know like I love really about what we do is the. The interactions that we have with users, right? So we're talking about the product discovery. So we do continuous interviewing. So every every week we interview three to four users, different users. We phone them up or like we send them an email, obviously if we have consent. Um, and we ask them like how how they're using the product, you know, like what are the things that you know they're like really uh, using it for, uh, why they find it, you know, like uh, very very uh, useful. And you hear these stories, which are real stories. Um, and that's really like, in a way to me, it's very moving, but it's also like really showing the impact that we have as a company, right? And, and that's what really makes me proud more than everything. That, you know, really like we are solving something that people, um, you know, are struggling with. Um, so yeah, I think it's really that. Uh, you already mentioned the uh, main changes and, and uh, stages of your career. Uh, what would you advise to others uh, learning from your own uh, professional life? Maybe also from your failures. For sure. Uh, so this is something actually I do like. Um, so I don't know if, I don't remember if there is in Hungary or not, but um, there is this feature on LinkedIn where you can go, you can do basically career advice. So I signed up for it, you know, like and people you know, submit questions, you know, like and very often like I end up having conversations with people on like on how to get into tech, product management. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, I haven't used it. Yeah. Um, so it's it's cool, right? You know, like so like very often like I, I use it, you know, and to me it's like a way of doing a retrospective on my own career as like I'm answering their questions, right? And understanding also what I could have done better, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the, the the main thing to me is that, you know, like a career is not a straight line. That's the first thing. 
that's the most important thing. You know, like you start in a role, you start in a in a position with an idea, and then you end up like in a completely different setup. Like I would never thought in my life to have a startup in Hungary. That's something that you know, like uh, it was I don't know, ten years ago, even like five years ago, that was not even like uh, uh, you know something I would have thought about, right? Running a fintech company in Hungary, right? This is something like completely like um, in a way uh, unexpected, right? But again, yeah. so it, it's about not you know like understanding that career is not a straight line. This is something that you know like in a way you need to go you need to go a bit with the flow. And seeing what happens around uh, happens around you, and being flexible and smart enough to take opportunities as they come up. Also, not being a straight line means that you know you're gonna you're gonna fuck up, you're gonna make some mistakes, and that's fine. That's part of the learning. Um, and making a mistake, you know, it's actually a great way of of learning. It's the best way of learning. Um, so I would really suggest people that not not to be afraid of taking like challenges and things that you know they might think that maybe they're gonna fail, maybe they, they they're not the, the 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 you know the the best for them from a career point of view based on their projected career, but really take a chance you know and try different things because that's how you learn and that's how you become like uh, you know somebody with a very interesting profile you know somebody with like a complete profile in a way. So I'm always uh, always a big fan of like uh, of people with different skills and different uh, um, you know uh, backgrounds um, rather than people that have been like in one industry in one role for the entire career. But how have you developed this uh, ability to not to uh, not to be scared of of failing? It's, uh, I would say, like, I would call it, like, um, resilience, survival mm-hmm. instinct. It's it, it's really that, you know, like, um, I started from, um, you know, like, being, in like, a very junior. So before Google, I was working in another couple of companies, like, in actually in, uh, in Scotland um, and Northern Ireland. And... Um, and I was a very junior person, you know, like I was doing like the, the shittiest jobs possible, right? You know, just to 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 make some money, right? Um, and then you build confidence. You build confidence that you know, like in any case, um, even if there is like a curveball, you're gonna survive. You're gonna figure out of making money. You're gonna figure out a way of like you know going on with your life, right? Um. And that removes that level of stress, right? That removes the level of stress of saying like, uh, you know, um, I don't know, like if this happens, you know, I'm doomed, you know, like uh, how can I go back on track with my career? It's not like that, you know, actually, like at least in my experience, you know, like uh, I went through like many hurdles and many challenges and also many changes in my career. And... uh, yet I'm still here, you know, like I'm happy, you know, I'm happy with what I've done and, you know, I keep, I, I keep myself developed. I, you I keep survived. Yes, exactly. I survived. So, you know, I think it's fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just mentioned you become uh, stronger and stronger because of these challenges. It just, I think the question, how do we, how do we manage the stress that maybe even like uh, when I hear stories about startup founders that 
you know, when they ran out of money and uh, they are just waiting for the next round. That that's that's common, right? You know, this is like uh, that's the game, like in a way, right? This happens. You know, if you're lucky enough, doesn't happen. Might 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 happen at some point. I think it's really about the. So you don't want to be a fool in the sense that if if things are not going, so if things are going really bad, you don't want to keep iterating on them. You want to learn, close that chapter, move on. But you also need a bit of like foolishness in a way and, and resilience that even in the moments of difficulty uh, where like you see everything dark, you say, actually, you know what? It's going to be fine. I'm going to figure mm. out a way of like of surviving. I'm going to figure out a way of like of um, turning this bad moment into something positive for myself, or for the company. And, and it works, actually. In most of the cases, it works. Um, yeah. Thank you. I will use it. <laughs> it comes. For sure. For sure. <laughs> so the dark times and also the, the, the good times. So um, you've been uh, seeing many startups and you are also a co-founder. So what do you think? What are the most important elements of uh, leading towards success in the life of uh, of an early stage company, a startup? I think it's really, I was actually like talking about this. I had this uh, Google Launchpad uh, uh, session that I did like a few days ago um, with a Romanian uh, accelerator. Um, and I was presenting about, you know, like product management in general and so on. Uh, I think it's really people. So what can really make the difference in the positive and negative side it's actually people. Um, so that means that, you know, from the very early stage, you know, obviously the people that you, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost impossible to be a one-man company. I mean, there are examples, obviously, but I do prefer having business partners rather than being like a one-man uh, one show. And selecting the right people to start a business with, it's what determines determines success, I think, not just in the first six months, but probably like for the rest of the, you know, the, of the, of the, let's say the life of the company, right? Um, and what I mean with selecting the right people, it's not really about we are friends or we are not friends. Obviously, there is a social component attached to that because you're going to be spending a lot of time with these people. And so if you don't like them, it's going to be a bit difficult. Um, but yet, you know, you can do it. But it's really about, um, I think, on one side, the skill set, so having compatible skill set, but also having the same risk profiling, which mm. is, you know, like somebody could be a bit more conservative or more aggressive from a risk point of view. And if you're unbalanced in that um, with your co-founders, you know, or co-founder one or two or three or whatever it is, that can be an issue. That can be a huge issue. Um, because, for example, you're more conservative uh, uh, from an inter internationalization point of view or from, like, let's say, accepting, like, a, a venture fund or whatever. Um, the other person is more, let's say, aggressive in that sense, right? You know, they're more, like, they're more risk-prone. Um, and that can be, like, a huge problem. Um, mm -hmm. So I think the risk profiling is very, very important, you know, together with the skill set compatibility. Um, and that to me is like the, I would say the key to success, but also the key to failure. 
apart from obviously building products that's you know if if you build products that nobody uses you know like then it's a different question there's not even a company but if the company exists uh, i think the people um in the company are like a you know really like the, the, the differentiating factor um can you tell me a bit uh, more about salarify so you are the co-founder of salarify where are you in the process what what is the product itself and and what is your role at the company for sure um so as i mentioned earlier um i'm one of the three co-founders of salarify the other two co-founders are Banse and uh, jolt um we started uh two and a half years ago um actually a bit more yeah not two and a half years ago we started in hungary and um what we do in a nutshell is uh we provide a solution a programmatic solution for um employees to have access to their earned but yet unpaid uh, salary so i work for three days usually the sales cycle in most of european countries is like a monthly sale eh, sorry it's not sales uh, salary cycle it's usually like a monthly uh, salary cycle and um so you work three days and you get paid after like you know like 30 days right so what we do is that we facilitate a dynamic access to that salary as you earn it working with employers right Uh, offering like a solution which is integrated with their payroll system and the banking APIs so that, you know, like uh, uh, employees um, can access that, uh, that those funds that they already earned, right? So that it's theirs. Um, until the end of this year, uh, we're going to be completely free with this first part of the product. So we're offering it for free to uh, employers and employees. Um, and then later in 2021, you know, we'll be adding additional features that we're working on at the moment you know and we can't really talk too much about them because they're not live yet uh but really cool stuff really exciting stuff um to extend you know to 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 to, to make like a um a better integration let's say within the whole payroll uh, ecosystem um so my role in salarify is to be the chief product officer um so i'm the person responsible I'd say my job is basically two two things. One is bridging the business and technology. Um, so making sure that business and technology are always talking to each other. So I'm a sort of a liaison facilitator between those two areas of the company. And the other one is obviously thinking about product solutions, right? So designing product solutions. Um, I have a team, you know, working with me. And uh, we're constantly like, you know, um, researching new product solutions, developing them together with our technology team, our software engineers. Um, and yeah, and that's like how we work, you know, a very lean way. Right now it's a team of, uh, we have eight people. Um, we're going to be hiring soon uh, as we are expanding, as I said, like our service offering. And also as we are growing like our customer base. Exciting times. Um, I really like the story and, and also the product. And um, we we arrived to the last question. Um, if you write a, a book about product management, what would be the most important uh, chapters of it? 
the most important chapter, as I mentioned before, journey for, 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 for business management, it is actually how to build a strong uh, product organization. So this is something that as I said, many companies, small and big, fail to do um, by either not redefining what a product organization should look like or not really having a strong hiring process and retention process, I would say, um, for uh, product management. So this is something that um, I think is extremely, extremely important um, because as you grow, in particular, if you move from a early stage to a more mature, let's say, growth stage um, um, in your company, you need to make sure that you have a very strong product organization. So I think not just one chapter, but I think the entire book should be on like how to build a product organization. Um, thanks a lot. Um, thanks do you so have much. anything for, for closing, uh, a closing message or, or something? I think uh, that really the, the message that you know, I want to, you know, to, to convey is that it's really innovation, uh, I would say product management, but obviously innovation, like from a broader point of view, is extremely fascinating. But in order to be innovative, you also need to be like a bit more risk prone. So there are a lot of like talented people that um, don't want to take that risk because they're afraid of the potential negative sides and consequences of like, say, for example, leaving like a very good job to start a company and so on. Um, and of sure, of, for sure, there are like you know, uh, risks attached to that. Um, but I would really suggest people to take a chance, even if it's like a side gig, something small, you know, that mm. you're doing on your spare time as a one-man uh, company, one woman, a one-man company. Um, I really, I strongly encourage people to to try because this is extremely, extremely like valuable, and you learn a lot about yourself, about people about you know your, your survival instincts in a way and your resilience so this is really something that i would encourage you know and i want to leave as a last message uh, thank you very much polo and um, you mentioned uh, failure uh, so learning that we should we should learn and and take and also not think about uh, failing but uh, the part of the the process uh, of learning and and the product management, and uh, you shared also not just the mindset, but your experiences. So I'm really grateful. I learned also a lot today, and um, I wish you good luck with your uh, product with Celerify. Uh, I really like the concept and the, the product, so uh, good luck with it. Thanks a lot, Robert, and, uh, and thanks again for having me. Really appreciate it. Thank you very much for being here. Cool. Bye-bye. Ciao. Thank you. So, bye.